Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. This is True Crime Psychology and Personality where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in counselor education and supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question is, can I analyze the Sherry Papini case? So this case starts on November 2, 2016. 34-year-old Sherry Papini was jogging near her residence in Redding, California, when she was allegedly kidnapped sometime between 11 a.m. and 2 p.m. Her husband, Keith Papini, came home from work and noticed that Sherry was not there and did not pick up the children from daycare. He used an app to locate her phone and earbuds. The result indicated they were about a mile from the home. He called 911 at 7.51 p.m. The police gave him a polygraph, and reportedly he passed, although polygraphs really don't matter. I've talked about that before. They're just nonsense. But it made the police feel confident that he was not involved. The police investigated a lead in Michigan. They revealed that Papini had a male acquaintance from there. She had been texting this man and was going to meet him in California. The two had initially communicated years before this incident, and they kept in contact. The man in Michigan was cleared of any involvement in the incident. On November 24, Thanksgiving Day, Papini was freed about 150 miles south of where she was kidnapped. She flagged down a vehicle at about 4 a.m. She had a quarter-inch chain around her waist, a zip tie on her left wrist that was connected to it, and she had hose clamps around her ankles. A motorist called the police. Papini was treated at a hospital for non-life-threatening injuries and was discharged the same day. She said two Hispanic women kidnapped her. They had a pistol and drove a dark-colored SUV. She did not get a good look at them at any point during her captivity because they kept her head covered or they had their faces covered. She said both women spoke Spanish most of the time. One had long, curly hair, pierced ears, thin eyebrows, and a thick accent. The other one was older. She had straight black hair with some gray and thick eyebrows. It would take 11 months for the police to release the sketches. The police indicated that Papini was branded on her right shoulder, but the details about what that looks like have not been released. Keith Papini said that his wife was beaten, starved, and had her hair cut off while being held captive. Her nose had been broken. She was covered with bruises, red rashes, and marks that looked like they were caused by chains. In addition, she weighed only 87 pounds, about 15% lighter than when she was abducted. Sherry Papini reportedly passed a polygraph as well. At this point in the investigation, the police were out of leads. Nobody saw the kidnapping. Nobody knew anything. 
To make things worse, Papini's recollection of events was not good. She produced information in pieces over a relatively long period of time. Not everything in her story was consistent. Papini told a story about how she fought back against one of the assailants, slamming the woman's head into a toilet, which resulted in Papini cutting her own foot. She did not have a cut on her foot when she was treated at the hospital. There was no evidence that there had been a cut either, like there wasn't a scar indicating that a cut was healing. Many people have doubted Papini's story, but those doubts only grew when DNA from two individuals was found on her clothing, one male and one female. Again, she was allegedly kidnapped by two females. The male DNA was on a jacket that the kidnappers gave her. The DNA did not belong to Papini's husband. It was not matched to any individual in the FBI's combined DNA index system, otherwise known as CODIS. The female DNA did not match Papini. At the time making this video, this investigation continues. The police have not ruled Papini out as a suspect. The Papini family moved to an undisclosed location, but then moved back to the original home. This was the home where Keith had grown up, the family home. So what could be happening in a situation like this? Was this kidnapping real? Was Papini telling the truth? Or was this some type of hoax? Was Papini trying to cover up some bad behavior? I will look at the evidence both for and against the idea that this kidnapping was real. So I'll start with the evidence in favor of the idea it was real. Papini did sustain damage to her body and was wearing makeshift restraints. It's hard to imagine somebody would do this to themselves, although it's possible that somebody else did it, but they were not really kidnappers. Papini's husband passed a polygraph. As I mentioned, they are nonsense, but the fact that the police interviewed him using that process and didn't find any inconsistencies points to the idea that he was being honest. Police always suspect the husband in these types of cases. They look at the husband and see a suspect superimposed on him, like Wild E. Coyote sees a hot dog superimposed on the roadrunner. Papini also passed a polygraph, but more importantly, the police did not catch her on a significant inconsistency except the missing cut on her foot. There was a video of Papini running on the road after being freed on Thanksgiving Day that was captured by a surveillance camera. One would think that if she was faking it, she really wouldn't be running until she saw a vehicle to flag down. It seems unlikely she would have the knowledge that a particular store had a surveillance camera pointed in her direction. Papini appeared to have cooperated with the police, although I think there are indications she really did not, but running under the assumption that she did, as they have said, her level of cooperation would be consistent with the police finding an inconsistency if she was not telling the truth. So again, we see she has a lot of exposure to the police. They have a lot of conversations, and that's more opportunity for them to catch her in some type of lie. Look at the evidence against the story being true. This kidnapping took place in a rural area. It seems unlikely that these kidnappers would be driving around in this area in the middle of the day looking for someone to kidnap. In addition, Papini was not a regular jogger. She was training for a 5K. So perhaps this was an excuse she put together to explain why she was running that day. When Papini's cell phone and earbuds were recovered, the earbuds were loosely coiled and put on top of the phone, not consistent with a struggle of any type. It's almost like when she was being kidnapped, she said, oh wait, you're kidnapping me? 
Let me just take these earbuds out and wrap them up and put this on the ground. Kidnapping me is one thing, but this iPhone and these earbuds were expensive. The Papini started a GoFundMe account and raised close to $50,000. It was reported that when Papini was younger, she ran away several times. This really just points to a possible tendency. An anonymous individual claiming to be a family member alleged that Papini had an addiction problem, including the use of substances like marijuana and benzodiazepines. They also said she had a mental health history, although no mental disorders were specified. Anonymous sources are really not that valuable or reliable, but I guess it is something to keep in mind. Papini had a history of contacts with law enforcement. Specifically, complaints were logged against her by various family members. In October of 2000, her sister filed a complaint saying that Papini kicked in the back door of the family home. A second call was made that same day by her parents, who described the incident as vandalism and indicated that Papini ran away. In September of 2003, when Papini was 21, her father reported that she made unauthorized withdrawals from his bank account. Papini would later return the money. In December of 2003, her mother accused Papini of harming herself and trying to blame the mother. We see a report quite some time after the incident where a man called the Shasta County Sheriff's Office and said that Papini was with him for the 22 days when she was supposed to be with the kidnappers. I feel like this is the kind of lead that should be followed up on. If this guy could prove he was telling the truth, that would pretty much be the end of the mystery. Several of Papini's neighbors are skeptical about her claims. A few flat-out believe she is lying. I think this is important because usually neighbors would give each other the benefit of the doubt. I think it says something that they do not trust her. There's an intuition there that I would not be inclined to dismiss out of hand. In 2003, Papini allegedly made a social media post using her maiden name where she described an incident where she was jumped by a group of Latinos after getting into a fight with a Latina woman. Her ex-husband claims that it was not her who made the post, so she was married to someone else before Keith Papini. As far as her injuries and condition when she was freed from the kidnappers, it seems unusual that she could have sustained all that damage and been that far underweight and not have stayed in the hospital even one overnight. Now, it could have been that she left against their advice, but why would she do that? Speaking of her injuries, as I mentioned before, there was an inconsistency in her story where she said she fought an assailant and cut her foot in the process. I think that's actually a fairly important inconsistency. Papini went to high school with a girl who went missing while jogging. That happened right near where Papini was allegedly kidnapped. When Papini was missing, an anonymous donor offered $50,000 for her release. The offer was valid until 5 a.m. on November 23. She was released less than 24 hours later. This is just an odd coincidence that has never really been explained. Papini was accused by an anonymous extended family member of trying to fabricate a story about being kidnapped in 2006. There's no reason to believe that Papini had a bad memory and all of a sudden there's this incident and she has trouble remembering things. There are additional confusing items leaning toward the idea that this is a hoax that have to do with the nature of the kidnapping itself. Several parts of this really don't make a lot of sense. There were two female kidnappers. That is unheard of. They held Papini for 22 days and then released her. Kidnappings don't usually end with the victims being released. 
It's not like kidnap victims expect to be released, like they would say to the kidnappers, hey, is this going to take a while? I have things to do. What was their motive other than abusing her? And why did they want to do that? There was no ransom demand. They didn't ask her for anything, like they weren't trying to get money from her. It just doesn't make any sense. They took a tremendous amount of risk for what? Now, there is this theory that Papini was kidnapped by these women as part of some type of sex trafficking operation. They realized that she was older than they thought only after they kidnapped her. Then there was a lot of publicity. Her face was plastered all over the news. None of their customers would have wanted someone so high profile, so the kidnappers just let her go. I don't think this is a terrible theory. It's not a good theory, but not terrible. The problem is that the police actually have dismissed this theory, saying that if the purpose was trafficking, the kidnappers would have been much more professional than the people that Papini described. This theory by the police actually makes good sense. For example, when these kidnappers released Papini, why was she still wearing restraints? Those could have been connected to them. There's no reason to take that chance. The behavior of the police, I think, actually points to the idea that this was a hoax as well. It is reasonable to believe that they know quite a bit of information that the public does not know. Why did they take 11 months to produce the sketches of the suspects? That does not demonstrate a sense of urgency. Now, the police have said there is no reason to doubt Papini's story, but they've also said there is no danger to anyone else in the community. That seems like a bit of a contradiction. Yes, this woman was kidnapped and held for 22 days, but they won't do that to you. Don't worry about it. So back to that question, was this a hoax? I'm not sure. There are definitely reasons to believe Sherry Papini and reasons not to. Strictly based on the statistics involved here, I believe this is probably a hoax. I think what happened here is the police don't want to be wrong about this one. I think they know that this doesn't add up, but how terrible would it be if they started treating this like a hoax and it turns out that she was telling the truth? That would be much worse than the police being fooled in the way that might be happening now. There's simply too much at stake for the police. It's not like somebody made up a story about their pet rock being kidnapped. This was a person being kidnapped. It's a serious case, and I think they're just being cautious. So here's my theory about this case. Here's what could be happening in a situation like this. It's important to note this is pure speculation. There is a possibility that based on these various sources I mentioned, Papini could have a problem with substance use and emotional regulation. Furthermore, she was communicating with that man in Michigan. Now, I know the police cleared him, but I think what's material here is what she was planning to do with him. The police will not say if that interaction was romantic. So I guess they would have us believe that this guy was going to come out to California and he and Papini were going to play chess. So adding it all up, there's a possibility that Papini has a tendency towards substances, impulsivity, and extramarital relationships. On November 2, she meets up with another man, perhaps the guy who claimed to be with her for the next 22 days. They go somewhere and engage in various activities. In a sense, this is like a bender with sex. Once the excitement wears off, Papini realizes that she's in a bit of a situation. She remembers the story about her friend who went missing. She decides to simply pretend she was kidnapped. She brands herself or has her lover do it because she knows that'll make her story more believable. She claims to have memory problems, so she's not responsible for recalling any of the information. She creates kidnappers that mostly speak a language that she doesn't speak, 
So again, kind of lets her off the hook for trying to remember anything that they said. And of course, she is dropped off in a rural area. This theory explains why her husband did not seem suspicious to the police. She would have lied to him as well in that process, so he really didn't know what was going on. Neighbors said that he was head over heels in love with her. It makes sense that he would believe her story. This theory also explains a number of other items. Why she didn't have that cut on her foot when she said she did. Why her earbuds were coiled up on the phone. Why nobody found these kidnappers. Why there was a man's DNA on her clothing. And why we don't see a sense of urgency on the part of the police. Again, this is just a theory. I have no idea what happened. I would be surprised if this case is ever solved, as it has already been over four years with no resolution. So, certainly an interesting case with kind of a frustrating status, but I think that looking at all the evidence, there is kind of an answer not too well hidden in that narrative. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.